Hello, welcome. It's 7 o'clock and it's time to begin. So welcome to our uh, regular meeting of the Shawnee Mission Board of Education, dated May 21st. With that, we'll begin with the first item on the agenda, and that's the Pledge of Allegiance. Please join us. All right, with that, we'll move on to item B1, and that's the report of the interim superintendent, Dr. Southwick. Thank you, Mr. Stratton. Um, all the Shawnee Mission High Schools were named among the best in the nation by U.S. News World Report. Shawnee Mission East, Shawnee Mission Northwest, and Shawnee Mission South each received silver medal and are ranked by the magazine as the top 10 high schools in Kansas. Shawnee Mission West and Shawnee Mission North also received bronze medals, which puts them ranking-wise across the state of Kansas in the top 25. I can't tell you exactly how many high schools we have in the state of Kansas, but with 280-plus districts and several of those with multiple high schools, speaks uh, very highly of our students, staff, parents, and the work that's done in the Shawnee Mission School District. I'd like to thank um, all of them for the, that. This doesn't come easily, so uh, uh, it's great for us to be able to make this announcement, to have this out there, and it is a, a state of group working together. Shawnee Mission Student Research um, earns top awards at National Junior Science Humanities Symposium. Studi uh, Delal, a junior at Shawnee Mission East, earned first place in the category of Cell Molecular Biology. She was also named a finalist for the Presidential Scholar Award and was presented a scholarship. Um, Studi's research uh, related to the treatments of Alzheimer's disease and her teacher is Miles Martin from Shawnee Mission East. Rachel Silverstein, a Shawnee Mission West senior and biotech student, earned second place in the same category. Rachel's research is about immunotherapy and her teacher's Brenda Bott. The National JSHS competition drew more than 8,000 high school student competitors and we had two in the top of those. Blue Jacket Flint was one of only 70 schools from over the world invited to attend the Apple Distinguished Schools Global Innovation Summit in 2018. They were extended the opportunity because they are Apple Distinguished Schools as named in the fall of 2017. Principal Teddy Pinlin and instructional coach Michelle Brown attended the summit uh, by invitation in Chicago and were invited to present about the Shawnee Mission School District's one-to-one -one digital learning initiative and Project Lead the Way Robotics at Blue Jacket Flint with educators from around the world. Our engineering students shine in Project Lead the Way Senior Showcase. The signature program students presented their senior capstone prototypes with experts and community members who came to see projects at Union Station. Um, Ryan Wachowiak and Joel Quanstrom from Shawnee Mission South received top 10 blue ribbon and scholarship awards. Kayla Herney uh, from Shawnee Mission West and Mina Abomomni Ba uh, from Shawnee Mission South also received top 10 blue ribbons. Shawnee Mission students received three of the six innovator awards presented at the event. And Mission and Game Design Signature Program students were honored at the Hackathon at UMKC. 
We had two students at this event earn second and third place for their talents in virtual reality and augmented, augmented reality. The teams are coached by Brian Johnson. Both teams were presented with $500 worth of virtual reality equipment that can be used in our classrooms. The second place honoree built an immersion therapy solution to help people cope with the fear of heights. It provides a virtual progression of standing on the roof of a house, then the tall building, then the top of a mountain with the safety of virtual reality environment. Third place honorees created a product that would allow architects to build prototype buildings using virtual reality. More than 1,050 students participated, submitted more than 830 projects in our 56th R&D annual R&D forum. District leaders, Board of Education members, Bob Rainier, uh, representing the Rainier Family Foundation, which supports the R&D Forum, presented honors to the students. More than 100 students were recognized, including the three recipients of this year's Rainier Award. Um, the award's so-called Over and Above Award recognizes students who exhibit outstanding effort and achievement. Very importantly, last week more than 1,800 Shawnee Mission School District seniors walked across the stage and collected their diploma. I want to thank the board members and administration for attending the ceremonies. I'd also like to thank the video production team and the communications department for ensuring the people who could see graduation live and were able to live stream the event. We received a note, a very grateful grandparent who was unable to um, visit or to attend while they were on international deployment. We're proud of our graduates and wish them the best in their next chapter. I'm happy to say that we have two new doctors in the house, Lisa Grumman, Shawnee Mission Northwest, and Brittany Gonzer, administrative intern at Shawano, have both received their doctoral degrees. Congratulations to both Dr. Grumman and Dr. Gonzer, and I think they're in the audience. If you'd stand. I've told you both this and uh, have encouraged, I think, both of you and how proud we are of you uh, receiving your doctorate degree. And um, I think, like me, you hope you never have to take another test. <laughs> so, but congratulations. We're very proud of you. Now it's time to introduce all means all-star award winners. Get us started. Uh, I think Jennifer Tilly's here tonight, and we'll introduce our first all means all-star. Good evening. Um, I am very proud to be here tonight along with my um, large group of people here supporting Mrs. Amanda Honeycutt, who is our All Means All-Star for Shawnee Mission Early Childhood Education Center. Um, Amanda kind of came to us in a little bit different means. She came from the retail world. And to be honest with you, whenever we were interviewing, um, we didn't have a huge selection of candidates, but something stood out um, in Amanda for me. And what stood out in Amanda for me was she has servant leadership skills. And I think when you see the video, you'll see how that stands out for Amanda. Amanda works with some of our toughest kiddos in our program, and every day she comes to work and she motivates not only our children, but our entire staff, as you can see, the people that came to support her. So we're really proud. <laughs> really proud and excited that Amanda Honeycutt is being honored tonight. Knock, knock, knock. Oh, hi. hi. It's Grammy to visit. 
Amanda is a para in the Early Childhood Center, and we have two sessions that How she teaches with me. There? So we have a morning session of kids and an afternoon two. session of kids. I know I could never do a day without Amanda. Um, I just feel so fortunate to have her in the classroom with me, and I know that my classroom is always going to be running smoothly if she's in there because she can just pick up where I left off um, all day, every day, with whatever we're doing in the classroom. Amanda is just an amazing person. She's very nurturing, very caring, but she also is firm too and she follows through with the expectations um, for the children. She's bubbly and upbeat. She understands children and what they need. She can kind of see things from their perspective, I believe. She is a curious person. She wants to learn. She wants to understand what the children need so that she can help them. Not only are we as a staff very lucky to have Amanda, but the children are so lucky to have her. She is just so loving and she truly, truly cares about everyone, every child, every person, and she does everything she can to support them. She embodies all means all. Let's wrap the wiki stick around. I did it! You did it! Fantastic! She's so intuitive with children and Amanda holds the belief that all children can learn and when we say all means all, Amanda embodies that. She has high expectations for all of the students regardless of their developmental levels and she's always challenging students to reach for the next level. Congratulations Amanda, I couldn't do every day without you. Amanda, congratulations. I'm super proud of you and I know everyone in this building is for the All Means All Star Award. Way to go Amanda, you embody All Means All. Amanda, you're our All Means All Star. Congratulations, you've earned it. back there. Um, it's been an amazing year. Next year is going to be even better. Um, and I think I might get upset. <laughs> but it's outstanding. I love my job. I love the staff. Um, and just the goals that we have for the kids and making sure they reach them so they can just be 100% every step they do. So thank you. like to introduce Michelle Lord who will come up and speak about your second recipient. Good evening. It is my privilege to introduce to you this evening Mr. Josh Greaves. Josh has only been at Mill Creek nine months and when I think of the All Means All Star Award I think of one word and that is legacy. Legacy is what one leaves for the organization and the people they serve. A legacy is created while one is at work. We all hope the legacy we are creating is an inspiring one. One's legacy cannot be defined by how long a person is committed to a profession. It is the relationships and connections built that leave a lasting impression on a community, thus creating a legacy. A legacy of a great teacher is not built from their lesson plans. It is built in their conversations with students, colleagues, parents, and an entire community. The lessons are important, but the relationships are essential. Josh, in his short time at Mill Creek, has already created a lasting impression, bonding positive culture and relationships with everyone he comes in contact with, and why he was nominated by so many colleagues. 
It is very telling just how much he is supported by the attendance of his Mill Creek colleagues here tonight, showing their support and why he deserves to be recognized tonight. Congratulations to our Mill Creek All-Star, Mr. Josh Greaves. He's my art teacher. He tutors me in the morning. Like I'll come over to his art room and he'll let me like draw. He'll like talk to me. Like, how's this week been? Or he helps me think outside the box. He can relate to them. He connects with them, and he goes out of his way to make the time for when they need him. And he's really fun, really energetic, really friendly to everyone. People who are struggling, he helps and it makes them feel better. He's one of the best. Not only do the kids love him, but art collaborative conferences that he has with parents, taking the time to paint the Mustangs after school. Um, in his free time, he's offered to push in my classroom just out of his own goodwill to work with my students. He's really gone above and beyond reaching out to the community as well. And he plays music. It just makes you feel more cheerful and excited when you're making art. Josh just has this wonderful way of connecting with people. He is a mentor to teachers in the district at other elementary schools. He's also just really friendly and patient. He does more than teach. He embraces the whole aspect of learning. He always gives us fun, creative projects that everyone enjoys. We don't always get time to express how we feel at school, and I feel like at art we can all express our feelings, and it's fun for everyone. His ability to make kids fall in love with, with art and drawing and to have confidence in what they're doing is really a key to who he is. This guy is amazing. He's just super chill. Keep on doing what you do, Mr. Reeves. He'll just light up your day. This way, I guess. <laughs> As I stand here before you this evening, um, I'm re reminded of a momentous occasion uh, that happened in my first year of teaching. Um, I was standing uh, at the front of my first art room uh, at Shawano Elementary School, and I had my first sixth grade class walking in. And if I remember this correctly, all of my students were taller than me at that point in time. <laughs> um, the nerves I felt then are still here at this moment. Um, but I am honored and humbled to have received this award, not only for being selected, but for knowing that my amazing colleagues at Mill Creek um, were compelled enough to nominate me for this award. When I entered my first year of teaching, I was told by a great friend and mentor to set goals for myself. Never stop setting goals for yourself. One of my goals has always been to reach and include as many students parents, staff members, and community members as possible through my passion and subject matter, which, as you have seen this evening, uh, is art education and maybe a few other activities. <laughs> I love what I teach, and I love that my job has allowed me to reach as many people as it has. Thank you, Mill Creek colleagues and friends, Board of Education, and the entire Shawnee Mission School Dis District for this honor and recognition. Thank you.
And now, Mr. Stratton, we have a couple of guests tonight with us, um, actually from the Kansas PTA. Um, Monica Crow, from, who is the president of the Kansas PTA this year, and Lori Denoy, uh, Shawnee Mission, case, uh, well, the president-elect for Kansas PTA. And uh, welcome. You guys have a surprise for us here tonight? Well, we do. Um, like I said, my name is Monica Crow. I'm the Kansas PTA president. This is Lori Denoy. She's the president-elect. Um, every year we have at our convention, we pick our outstanding student, our outstanding educator, and then we have another special little thing that we do called the Virginia Peak Award. Um, and it's actually Lori's job to present it, so it's Miss Lori Denoy. <clears throat> Every year, Kansas PTA is given the privilege to recognize individual individuals in their hard work and service to the youth of Kansas. Kansas PTA Virginia Peak Outstanding Leadership Award is one that is presented in honor of someone who has given exemplary service to the youth of Kansas. Service can entail advocating in areas of education, youth, safety, and or legislation. Virginia Peake was a longtime Kansas PTA volunteer and bulletin editor. When she passed in 1999, memorial funds from the Peake family was established to recognize an outstanding PTA volunteer. Thus, the Virginia Peake Outstanding Leadership Award was established in her honor. This year's recipient grew up in the Shawnee Mission District and graduated from the district as well. She and her husband currently have two children who are either currently attending school in the district or have graduated in the last couple of years. She is one that has been involved with PTA since 2002 and continues to support the mission, purpose, and goals of PTA. Throughout her PTA career, she has served in various leadership roles at the local, council, and state level and continues to serve on the legislation committee for the state. Her insight on various legislative issues that affect not only our schools but our youth is amazing. Very up to date and well informed on the issues at hand. This individual's work experience includes serving as a member of the adjunct faculty at the University of Kansas and University of Missouri in Kansas City, as well as a principal investigator at the University of Minnesota. She earned her bachelor's degree from Georgetown University, master's in education from Harvard University, and PhD in special education from the University of Minnesota. During the election season in 2017, she was asked by Ballopedia, what do you hope to achieve if elected to the school board? She reindicated by indicating that her goal in serving on the school board is to preserve and to enhance the quality of our public schools. I am a parent, a patron, and alumni of the Shawnee Mission District and an educator by profession. I believe that quality public education is the cornerstone of a thriving community and healthy democracy. With her strong background within the district and being involved with PTA, having children, having her own kiddos in the district. Her recent accomplishments was being elected to serve as the Shawnee Mission District School Board representing District 2, known as the East Area. Please help me in honoring this year's Kansas PTA Virginia Peak Outstanding Leadership recipient, 
Mary, Dr. Mary St. Clair. Thank you so much for letting us honor our beloved Mary. Thank you. Thank, Thank you. you. All right. Thank you. And thank you for that. We appreciate that. Uh, we are glad to have her on board here, too. We appreciate all of her experience, and, and congratulations, Dr. Sinclair. Well deserved. Uh, with that, we'll move on to uh, C, which is our special presentations. We have several of those today, and the first one is regarding an update on the uh, 2019 medical insurance. Dr. Seltzer. Yeah, so um, tonight on the agenda, we've gone through a lengthy process to look at our medical insurance over the last several months. And we do this as a part of a committee process. I want to uh, speak to them and also give them accolades for the work that they did and the time that they put in uh, with this process. But every year, um, several times a year, the Benefits Committee gets together and looks at the benefits that the district will provide to all of um, its staff across the district. And there's representatives of all of our staff that are there. Um, and they not only look at the cost and the programs, but they look at uh, the comparisons to our district to other districts. And they look at benefits that we believe um, really enhance us being able to um, entice people to come to the district and stay to the district. And this year, um, it was time, we believed, uh, to go out and look at our medical insurance, um, which we did. We created an RFP for that, and we're going to speak a little bit uh, about the findings of that tonight. But before I do that, I want to, to uh, list the name of the Benefits Committee members that work, that give their time. Um, and provide this service at no charge to the district um, throughout the, the course of the year. And uh, you'll notice as we go down through, we have a pretty varied team. Um, we've got Linda Seek, um, serves as the NEA Shawnee Mission President, but she's a certified representative. Kevin Scarrow, as the Uniserve Director, sits um, on the committee. Karen Myers is a certified representative, and Becky Tate is a certified representative. Rob Bell served as the administrator representative this year, along with Ryan Flurry and Felicia Nedelecki. Susan Clever uh, served as the classified representative, and Tammy Reddick as a classified representative. In addition to that, resource members of the team, they're not voting members, but they're resource members. Uh, myself I served as the deputy superintendent, interim superintendent. Dr. Sumner is assistant superintendent for HR. Dr. Sig, a director of HR. Mallory Zila, Employee Benefits Coordinator, Jennifer Lumley, uh, Employee Benefits Assistant, and Ann Richardson. Uh, and again, we were a resource, so when, if they needed information, we could bring the information. When it came time um, to vote one way or the other, we were just there as ex officio. In addition to that, um, the CBiz team, Tammy McCoy, who was a wellness coordinator for us, but uh, her salary is paid for by CBiz. Um, she's a wellness coordinator and the safety liaison, serves on the team. 
Jim Vigliaturo, Vice President, um, Dave Johnson, who's here tonight, talk a little bit about the process that we went through and what the end result would be. Michelle Kahn, Senior Account Manager, and Susan Indicon, Account Manager. So um, pretty good-sized team to look at all the issues around benefits. And again, I have to thank them um, for their time and efforts, but also the questions that help us take a deeper dive into um, as they represent the employees across the district and as we work to present to you all um, the benefits that we want to provide moving forward. So uh, without further ado, I'm going to ask Dave Johnson to come up. I think he's got a brief presentation, five to seven minutes. Isn't that right, Dave? Yes, I think that's what we talked about. Yes, sir. Um, so the clock's on. So you each have a paper presentation here. So uh, thank you for a few minutes this evening. Again, I'm Dave Johnson with CBiz. We're the benefits consulting team that's been working with the district since November of 2013. We also have team members that work, as Dr. Southwick said, uh, in your on-site clinic, the on-site fitness center. We also assist you with your property and casualty coverages, wellness programs, uh, and retirement plans. So a little bit of background, the renewal history for the medical plan itself, we've got listed in the presentation here. In 2018, there was a 6.9% increase. In 17, there was a 3% increase. We also added a, a couple of additional plans that have what we call the high performance network to give employees a choice for that plan. And in 2016, there was a 9% increase. We determined that we wanted to review the market, so we sent a request for proposal to the market in early 2018, and, and that was to six carriers or six insurance companies that work in our area. We received four proposals. One was from the incumbent carrier Blue Cross, one from Aetna, one from Humana and United Healthcare. Cigna and Midwest Public Risk, which is a local pool plan, both declined to uh, provide a proposal. So the criteria for evaluation when we go through this process with our clients is listed here. And one is certainly cost or how much the premiums are for the programs. One is the benefits of the plans, what are deductibles, co-insurance, co-pays, et cetera. The network of providers, you have a unique plan because you have really available three different networks of providers. So you have a PPO plan, which is we call Preferred Care Blue. You have Blue Care, which is an HMO network. And then you also have Blue Select Plus, which is that narrow network or high performance network that we talk about. Employee wellness initiatives, what the carrier is able to offer to the client and to its employees or members of the plan. Administration of the plan, how they are processing claims, the relationships they have with providers when they do make mistakes and they all make mistakes, how well they adjust those and how, how quickly they adjust those and how, how appropriate those things are. The funding mechanism of the plan, whether it's self-funded, insured, a participating contract. And this year we really added an additional emphasis for the affordability of dependent coverage. Um, and I'm proud to say we've got some pretty good results, I believe. Uh, that affordability of dependent coverage has come up several times, specifically with the Benefits Committee as well as the administration of the district. So we were able to address some of those things through the RFP process. We reviewed the results of those proposals with the Benefits Committee on April 24th. I think it was a, a couple hour meeting that we sat through and reviewed all of the RFPs. And the four major 
points of emphasis or major accomplishments, I believe, that came out of that process were, number one, we're able to renew the current plans with Blue Cross and Blue Shield of Kansas City at an overall 0% increase. Now, I need to address that in a minute in terms of the premiums that are going to end up on uh, after a couple of adjustments, and I'll talk about that in a minute. We were able to add an additional plan option with very similar benefits to the HMO plan, but with the high-performance network, and that plan is going to be an 11% discount starting on January 1, 2019. About 71% of the providers in that HMO network today, that Blue Care network that I mentioned, are in that high-performance network. So if an employee chooses, that's in the HMO, chooses to utilize a Blue Select Plus uh, provider to provide their coverage, they can go to that plan and they can get an 11% discount. The dependent premiums are going to change from what is currently a three-tier plan, which means single coverage, which of course the district pays the, the majority of. There is today a plus one category, and that means plus one body. That means either a spouse only or a child only. And then there's the family. So if an employee has, as an example, spouse and child, that's family coverage. If they have more than one child on the plan, uh, an employee and two children, that's a family plan. So when we went through the process, we were able to secure a four-tier plan which means, again, still single, and then it's a spouse only. It's not a plus one, it is a spouse only. Then it is a child or children category, a single parent or a, a, an employee that chooses to insure just their children on the plan, whether that's one or as many as they can or cannot handle. So it's all those kids are on that plan. And then family, which would be spouse and child or children. That child or children only premium component is significantly discounted, certainly over the family, and it is slightly lower than the spouse-only plan. So although it is an overall no increase in premium, in order to get that discounted level, you have to increase slightly both the spouse-only and the family. It's rather slight, but in order to offer that discount for that child or children only category, you have to make up that premium somewhere. And that's how that's done. And then finally, the full district contribution. This year, prior years, the district has always said uh, the difference in premium between the cost of the HSA plan or the qualified high deductible plan is going to be deposited automatically into a, an employee's HSA plan, uh, uh, account health savings account. That is going to change so that full amount for a single, because there's a difference in premium, is going to go into the HSA, but that HSA contribution now, instead of going into automatically the HSA, it's going to be applied to premium. So it's going to drop that premium even more. So we're going to have some significant savings for several plans. The plan that I mentioned, the Blue Select Plus HMO plan, if you will, we call it the EPO plan, Exclusive Provider Organization. Today, as a single employee, a single employee would pay $87 a month in premium for that plan. For the very, very similar benefits, with that high performance network, that premium is going to drop to $11.77. So a significant discount for that plan for a single employee. And then the dependent premium is going to drop commensurate as well. So 
we're very pleased, the committee in going through the process was pleased with both the process, um, all of the information they had to review, uh, a much better sense of the market as a whole, what other things are available out there, and this was actually their final decision. This was, was what they wanted to proceed with, so I'd be happy to answer any questions. Any questions? Yes, Mrs. Owsley. Can we get a, can we get an example like on the number drop? You know, like say for a family of four, if they were to insure their kids, just so that we have an idea of what we're dealing with in the ballpark. Sure. Let me give an example of. Uh, well, as an example, the HMO plan. Currently, a an employee would pay one thousand five hundred eighty-one dollars and thirty-three cents a month to be to insure their whole family on the HMO plan. So that same HMO plan is now going to be $1,596. So it's going to be up by about $15 over last year. Now for a, for a person who would insure a plus one prior, whether that was a spouse only or a child only, they were paying $860. That spouse only is going to go to $894. So that's up by $34. For a child or children, that cost for the employee is going to be $750. So that's down $110. It's hard to give every situation because some have spouse-only, child-only children, whatever the case is. Now, again, for that person, if they choose to use the high-performance network and you select that at the beginning of the plan year and have that all year, that family coverage is going to go from $1,581 to $1,366. So that's a $220 drop per month. But there's no uh, corollary drop in what's being provided, similar to what's there similar is to no what they were there is, It's the same benefits. Same benefits. Is that right? Yeah. Yes. yes. It's, it's not for everybody. Some people want to maintain their provider. Um, fortunately, 71% of the folks that are getting services are getting service in, in that HMO plan are getting services from a Blue Select Plus provider, they'd be able to switch painlessly. Um, for someone that chose maybe to change providers, um, they would be able to realize a significant discount. And I just have one more question. Have we side-by-sided -side this with other districts so that we know where we stand in context to what other districts provide benefit-wise? We know where we stand today. We don't know for January 119 yet. Does this improve our standing if we were comparing it, it to where we were today? It does. Okay. It does, does it bring us more in line with what other districts are offering? Or I, I think so. Of the, of the, I guess, probably what you would consider your peer group, um, Blue Valley, Olathe, et cetera, um, they all had four-tier plans before. That's, that's the one major difference that they had before. Mm -hmm. um, they also had, um, most of them had added a Blue Select Plus plan, which you did as soon as that was available like they all did. So I believe it comes more in line. We'll know more for 1119 after we get that renewal information. Not, not everyone has renewed yet for January 1. Okay, thank you very much. Thank you. Other board member questions? Dr. Sinclair. Um, can you um, speak just a, in a little bit to the stakeholder process? The group of folks sitting around the table, were there some common goals, common objectives that this group really wanted to accomplish that they were able to 
achieve? What were some of the kind of concerns that were her goals that were uh, identified by sure. the group? Well, one was to have reasonable premiums. <laughs> the, the major, really the major cause that the, the Benefits Committee has talked about for longer than just this process okay. has been that dependent premium. Uh, and, and that's also been a, uh, a special project of your interim superintendent as well. So that has been a major um, concern. You do have, as on a percentage basis, if you will, anecdotally, probably more dependent coverage on your plan than a lot of school districts that we work with. So it, it is even more dramatic um, because of that. Um, maintaining the same level of benefits, maintaining the same, the same providers in the networks so that we do a network comparison. There's another provider, a proposal that we looked at that also has what they call their own narrow network, but it is really, really narrow. So we have to be careful that when we compare those networks that you don't say, well, this is a similar narrow network to what you have available today, because that's not accurate. Okay. Thank so, you. I appreciate that mm -hmm. perspective. Any other questions from board members? I'd like to add to that. Um, you know, one of the things that we looked at, again, is in a, in a market that wants to go up 9% a year, I mean, that's just kind of the market. And some people's experience is, is causes it to go up a lot more than that. We've tried to find ways that not only we can control those costs, but not give up a bunch of benefits as we do that. Um, one of the things that, I, that I'm proud of and, and not ready to relinquish at any time in the future is we've got really good benefits and we've not um, had the high deductible plans that um, some of the other school districts around have had. But one of the things that we need to look at in terms of being able to have not only our people but their families insured is that to be affordable. And I think now we have plans in place. If I want to stay on a PPO or an HMO, I can. Um, and we've looked at the cost of that. If I want to do a high deductible health care savings plan for myself and my family, um, and I know I've got that deductible to pay, but I marry that with the district's clinic um, as a, a portion of my coverage. So uh, pretty much all of your home health can be taken care of there. Now I've got an affordable plan and I've got great coverage, um, and that's something that we've not necessarily had in the past for all of our families. So I'm really proud that our committee did that deep dive on that. and. Um, I'm not sure if Linda's here but tonight, but Linda spoke very specifically about, you know, when the high performance network came forward, she didn't do it the first year. But then with the clinic in the second year, she saw, well, this is, this is a good benefit for me. So those were the kinds of discussions we've had. Um, I think we offer a range um, now that we didn't have before and affordability we didn't have before. It's still high, but it's high everywhere. But um, it's, it's a zero increase. We're not going to be talking about asking the board as, because of a renewal to have to kick in additional dollars this year to provide health coverage for our employees. We were able to bring that. And I've, I've said to Dave, for four years, just get me to zero and I'll be happy. And I always kind of say it tongue in cheek, but they did it this year, so. Other questions, comments from the board? 
with that, thank you very much for the thank presentation. You. We appreciate Thanks the update. Thank, thank you. you. One, one point of clarification that we realized tonight, this will come to you later in an action. We don't have this action on the board tonight. This was a presentation, but when we wrap up all of those together and present them to the board, uh, we'll ask you to take action on those at that time. So. With that, move on to item C2, which is our legislative update. Dr. Southwick. Yes, we've got Dr. Little here um, off of an... You've been on vacation, haven't you? Ha! <laughs> to provide uh, your legislative update, I think we've got some important things that have happened, and we've got uh, really important things, I think, that start tomorrow. So, Correct. Thank you. Uh, thank you, Mr. Mr. Stratton, members of the board. Um, I have vacation not yet here. We're waiting to see what happens with the Supreme Court. Nobody's planning any, nobody in this business is planning anything for June. So um, I'll give you a brief up. The last time I was here to talk was right before uh, the, the wrap-up session began on the 23rd of April. And I'll talk a little bit about some of the issues that came up. I sent you all through the email process and report, published reports updates, just hit a couple of the high points and then kind of talk about where uh, I think uh, we're going and what may be happening tomorrow with the oral arguments. Um, when we, I last appeared, we were talking about what the legislature would do to address the issues that arose in the bill that was passed at the end of the legislative session in Senate Bill 423, and would there be a solution that was a big picture fix, or would there be just the technical corrections, and, and because there was more revenue that came in and those kinds of things. And so... The legislature, uh, when they came back on the 26th of April, had basically a little over a week and were done by May 4th and passed the school finance bill that we had uh, had talked about at that time and, and talked about the general corrections that were going to be uh, offered. And I'll talk a bit about what was in there for sure, and then I'll be happy to answer questions. Now, when they came back, there was quite, one of the fundamental questions was, were they going to attempt to fix uh, just the, 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 I don't hesitate to call it an error, or would they be making uh, other changes because there was more revenue that came in? And pretty quickly, when the legislature showed up by Friday, the, the House had put together a bill that was going to uh, fix the LOB problems that were issues for us in terms of having that calculation at that rate that was the 4490 rate and then kind of be able to calculate special ed. And, but one of the things that they did, instead of completely removing the, the portion of, the, of local funding that went into the count for base state aid, they did leave the, the language in the bill that said part of the, the formula that was generated by local revenue would be counted as as support for the schools, and so it was a it's a minor change, but it has an impact on kind of what I'll talk about about what the court does, kind of later on. Um, they did uh, make those fixes. They did reject specifically in the Senate or in the House additions of extra money to fully fund special education. What's in the original bill now gets us up to about 86 percent, I believe, instead of 92. They did also have a floor amendments to add funding to the base state aid to increase that. There were attempts to repeal the bond cap to remove that portion of the LOB that gets counted or that you had to spend on, on at-risk and bilingual students and some changes to the mental health project that were limiting the school districts that could participate in that. 
eventually the, 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 the House passed that bill on Saturday, on then Monday, and then the, when the, the Senate came back in, they had it in a Senate bill, so they, they were faced essentially with the option of, you reject this bill and we're gonna go into a conference committee and start debating about what happens with school finance or pass the bill, and so that's what the, how the Senate did. They debated the bill for a while and then passed it. Uh, it passed uh, overwhelmingly in both chambers. Um, every member except for one of our legislative delegation voted for the bill, both in the House and the Senate. And so it was sent on uh, through the process. Uh, it does have the fixes in it that we were seeking. It doesn't have any of that extra revenue, but it does. Uh, so it, it, it wrapped that up, went to the governor, and the governor signed it. Uh, relatively quickly. The other point I would mention had to do with the, the budget, and I'll talk about that real briefly. <coughs> Excuse me, that was one of the other issues they had. Besides fixing the school finance issue, they'd never passed the final budget that they needed to, and they had a tax bill on the table, and this is all in my written report. I won't go into the details of that, but the Senate had passed a bill that was going to implement changes that would have, in large measure, reversed the tax package that was passed last year. It was based on changes that had happened in federal tax policy law that were beginning to take effect and would decouple us from changes in federal law so that different tax policies and there's a description of it in my written report. And that bill passed the, the Senate. What it did, it did a couple things. It was going to reduce the amount of revenue that was available. And then there was, by the time it got to the, the House, for them to take a vote on that, there was also some, some thought going on in people's minds about what's the message to the court as they're looking at a school finance where we've just rejected adding any more money, but then also passed a tax cut bill, and what would that mean? And so, so the bill in the House side died 59 to 59, and it did not advance. And, and th that's, it, it's significant that, that it was that close and that the, the potential existed that we would have been essentially taking as much money, and nobody was exactly sure what the impact was going to be that was part of the challenge, but theoretically we would be taking out as much money as we were putting into the school finance plan and that, that could have led us to some difficult situations. A um, couple of things in the budget bill that were passed um, after five or six years of doing budget bills that had reductions in them, there was a lot of resources invested this year and a couple of them in school finance. They made three-year-olds eligible to the three and four-year-old at risk. They added money for early childhood. They fully funded what caseload said to need, needed to be done for K through 12. And one issue that that was laying, lurking in the, there that, that was passed at the end, and I want to be real clear about it, was one of the gun safety pieces of legislation that was introduced earlier in the year was included in the budget bill. There were two. There was one that was going to give you all the option as a school board to make decisions about whether you wanted to do gun safety or not, and through the course of the process, it allowed that to be uh, anything you determined that was evidence-based, so you didn't have to use any one specific program. And then there was another component of that bill that gave uh, the governor, or gave the, the state board $5 million to fund security improvements, and then it had going to have the state board put together criteria and standards for school safety. That was included in the budget bill. It was added in, bud in the budget bill late in the negotiating process, and it was passed as part of the budget. It did not include the provisions of the one bill that that was much more controversial, that had a concealed carry endorsement, that if a teacher obtained that, they would be able to carry in the school district and, and the school, and you would not 
know or ask and those kinds of things. And that would also have, that had to do with insurance liability. If you didn't allow concealed carry, you would be presumed negligent. Those components of that bill were not added. But the school safety bill that essentially is the state board putting together some standards uh, was what was passed in that. So we, we get now to the the... The school finance bill was passed, signed by the governor, and the uh, oral arguments following up after the Gannon decision last October that said you need to fix this by, uh, it is unconstitutional and you need to fix it by, and they're going to render a decision by June 30th of this year. We have gone through that process. The briefs were filed on the, uh, um, on the 7th of May, and then the response briefs were filed on the 14th. I sent to uh, the administration a lit list all of the briefs, links to how to get there, as well as links to the oral arguments tomorrow so that you can see those, uh, watch that, um, and I believe those are going to be posted if they've not already on the district website so that information is all available as well. So essentially we're going to go and have two hours of oral argument in the morning and the state is going to argue that between last year and this year they've added over $800 million to the school finance formula that they have um, uh, have done some of the things that were suggested in the West Ed study, the Dr. Uh, uh, Dr. Uh, Taylor study, uh, but some of those goals both in that study and the more costly goals as well as the Kansas can, uh, objectives are aspirational and are forward and the legislature's chosen to fund those issues to, to uh, as they describe, kind of going back to the Montoy, the last uh, last funding formula that was that was deemed uh, constitutional by the legislature or by the Supreme Court and then added to that. And so they uh, have used that kind of as the base and added those resources in the final bill that was passed that is phased in over five years and that they're asking the court at a minimum to declare the formula constitutional and if there are specific issues that they want to address to let the 2019 legislature come back and address those when the time comes. The plaintiffs in their briefs, if you uh, read through those, uh, they argue that it's not enough money, that it is not enough to satisfy what the West Ed study said needed to be done, nor any of the other studies, that there are, there are further inequities so we haven't even addressed, haven't even fixed the equity issues. Just to back a step up, the bill, two bills that passed did address that from the legislature's perspective, those, those equity issues um, and the, the adequacy was where the money issues were concerned. Um, they also believe that there was a failure to address those 25% of students that are underachieving achieving, and by not building in inflationary factors, they're not adequately funding. They're asking for $500 million in this current school, in the 18-19 in the school year, and then having the court favor on the side of the, the implementation up to the West Ed goals, I believe about $1.7 billion phased in over time. So the court has stated last October they would not be complicit in allowing an unconstitutional formula to, to happen. Uh, oral arguments will take place tomorrow. Um, they will, the court since last October, I believe, has been very clear about where they are on what they want the, the legislature to do. Whether or not the legislature has done that, I'm not sure. We'll have to wait a long time to hear. Uh, one thing of note is that there is no severability clause in the school finance bill that went up there, so it's not an all or nothing. We'll throw everything out. The potential exists that the court could specify some places that they want a remedy and that they want a remedy very quickly. I, I do believe uh, having oral arguments this early, um, 
I think that, uh, and still with eight, nine weeks until the end of the fiscal year and we get into 20, when the, they said they needed a response, I think that uh, if the court chooses to go down that path, I wouldn't be surprised if within a few weeks or less we probably know what they want to have done if they want something done and then potentially there would be a, a special session in June. They may agree that this is a good start and wait until uh, January of 19. You all are, are probably as well equipped as I am as to determine if that will happen or not. But uh, that's where we are. I think the tone of what happens tomorrow will be interesting. But I still go back to, if you go back and read the October ruling from the, the court on Gannon 5, I guess we call it, it is pretty clear about they want a lot of things changed. And I don't know if, if the combined over two years, $800 million will satisfy them or not. I'd be happy to answer questions. Thank you. Any board members have a question? Congratulations. We understood all that. <laughs> Thank, you. Thank you very much. Thank you very much, Dr. Little. We appreciate all your work and time on this. It is not an easy subject to tackle. With that, we move on to item uh, C, which is the budget workshop for today. Well, good evening. Um, as we've been hinting, we finally wouldn't get to a budget workshop in May, and here we are. Um, so tonight's presentation is um, kind of the working draft of our budget. We'll continue to tweak this as we bring it to your final approval in August. Um, so as more decisions are made, we are more things that we learn from Topeka, we can work that into the budget and hopefully they, they do that in a, a timely manner so we can get this for approval in August. Um, this slide kind of shows the 36 district funds that we have, and we break them into the five categories that you see here. For tonight's presentation, I'll work through every group, um, but with an emphasis on the supportive funds. So our supportive funds, which we often refer to as our operating funds, um, that pays for our day-to-day -day operations. Those are our salaries, our benefits, our utilities, student transportation, et cetera. Um, we call them supported because all our general state aid and LOB tax money comes in the general fund and the LOB fund and monies are transferred out of those two funds to the other supported funds such as SPED, at-risk, bilingual. The main source of those are of course the general state aid, special education state aid, and local taxes. So the assumptions that we're building are funding for our operating funds are again as, we can, as state law has passed. We're going to build it on $4,165, which is a $159 increase. The special education, they appropriated considerably more money. Uh, as you uh, heard Dr. Little say, 86% excess costs at this time. Um, that will result in more money for the district. And then our LOB funding will decrease due to the weighted FTE, and I'll talk about that here in a second. Um, so I wanted to present this slide because in April and in at your special uh, board meeting, the, the, the part in the top left are the um, funding scenarios that KSDE put out and that you're familiar with. So I wanted to do a comparison to the, the KSDE runs versus what we think we're going to have for 1819. Um, so it did come very similar. Our general state aid 
um, we think we'll get three million sixty-four thousand. That does include student growth reserve. So that's a common practice that we put in additional kids in case we're going to have additional enrollment because we don't know that until September 20th of next year. And we have that. We have to build that in the budget to have the authority to spend that. Um, and that's the same token we put it in the funding, but we put the same amount into our expenditures, so the impact is zero on the bottom line. So if the increased enrollment comes for fruition, we have it in the budget and we can spend it. Um, if it doesn't, then you just remove it from the budget and all is good. So anyway, um, so you can see the general state aid, we anticipate 3064000 Special education state aid would be about 2025000 and then our LOB, uh, like Dr. Little indicated, they restored that LOB, but because our weighted FTE is decreasing, our LOB will our LOB authority for 1819 we anticipate going down close to a million dollars. What's driving that is two things: our enrollment is based on the prior year or two prior years. So we peaked back in 1516, <clears throat> so our base FTE is showing almost 376 FTE decrease. Um, and that goes right into the LOB weighted FTE. The other item is declining enrollment. That was eliminated two years ago, and we got to take it 50% last year, and then we took the, the, uh, the second half of that this year. So next year we will have no declining enrollment. That was 397 FTE. So both those two numbers added up is general, close to about a million dollars in LOB authority that we will lose. Uh, we do anticipate some more money coming in, reimbursables and other. Uh, reimburse, reimbursable would be something like um, parking fees or facility rentals. We, um, due to some of the fee increases in uh, facility rentals, we think we'll get a little bit more money. So anyway, uh, for 18-19, we think we'll have funding about 4572000 increase over our current year of 17-18. Some of the other things that I wanted to mention, the bilingual FTE, we're anticipating a decrease of 15%. And one of the reasons for that is that they changed the exit criteria, making it easier for uh, students that are on receiving those services to exit, which means they would just go, they would fall off those services. So we're anticipating that going down. This is kind of the first year, so we'll see how close we get on that. Um, vocational ed, we're going to increase FTE by 10% because that's the expansion of the signature programs. We'll have more enrollment in those, so they'll generate some more vocational dollars. Uh, new facilities, you know we're opening Lenexa Hills. Um, New facilities is a waiting that was eliminated but grandfathered in until certain bond issuance expire. So we do have the ability for about two or three more years to collect some new facility monies, but it's only good for two years. So we'll collect some new facility waitings uh, for Lenexa Hills, and then those will drop off in about two, three years. And if you have any questions, please just interrupt me and ask. So for our supported funds, our total revenue stream from those sources will be about 236535000 is what we're anticipating for next year. Yes. Yes, Dr. Sinclair. Just a quick question on the facilities. Yeah. Um, the facilities rentals, is that because we have more facilities to rent, or did we need to we adjust did to capture We did it. We did a fee increase. 
we were we did a survey about three three years ago and we were considerably lower than Olathe and Blue Valley and we've done our uh, fee increase over the last two years. Okay, so that's just phasing in. It's not an additional fee increase. It's what's been described. It's already been previously. board approved. Yes. Okay, thank you. Yes. <clears throat> On the expenditure side, um, we have built in professional growth, or also called column movement, of about five hundred thousand dollars. So when a teacher receives uh, additional degrees, they can move across the column. Um, there are no salary increases in the budget at this time. Um, personnel changes, we have added close to 16 FTE for a total of about $1.6 million. Um, we maintain the health cap at 649, uh, and we got some good news tonight about our, our premiums. So that $657,000 represents um, the second half or the second portion of a premium increase because our premiums are run from January to December. So like, for example, for a teacher, we'll pay eight months of those premiums in the current year and then four months in the future year. And so when, when we do have a premium increase, it affects two fiscal years. So that's that impact, $657,000. Um, transportation with DS Kincaid is contractual to increase 3%. And then we also built in a little more for diesel. Um, word on the street is diesel might peak next year, so we did build, build in a little uh, increase for that. Um, we did have a million dollars for textbooks, and we pulled that out, saving about $900,000, but the, we'll use the textbook rental fund to go ahead and buy those adoptions. Uh, I'll speak about that a little bit later. So any of those items will be purchased out of textbook rental fund or delayed a year. And then I just put this, <clears throat> this last point is the student growth reserve just to show that that's the offset to any potential revenue. So the impact is zero on the bottom line. Um, this is a pie chart that represents the, fund, the major funding categories or classifications that we break it into. <clears throat> just wanted to represent that close to 83.4% of our budget is spent on salary and benefits about $195 million. So to, to summarize our operating funds, um, this is a slide that we like to show and use consistently. Um, before I summarize 1819, I want to just kind of recap 1718 real quick. Uh, so where it says restated original, that's our budget after we did the salary uh, increases in September. So we bring the budget to you in August for your approval. They did not have any salary increases at that time. <clears throat> so we did a package of about $10 million, we came back, and then we restate that budget. And we thought we were going to be about $1.4 million surplus. Right now we're projecting a $1.2 million deficit. We still have a, another month to go in this fiscal year. That's a swing of about um, $2.6 And some of the things that were driving that, um, $1.4 in less in funding and that was from our at-risk weightings. We just had less free lunch count this year than we've had historically, so we, we based that, and it's, it's, it's a pretty good trend, but year, this year it dropped off. Um, and we talked about it with the board prior meetings, and it might be the economy. Um, it could be uh, we've been audited 
uh, this year because in the past two or three years we've been on a block grant and we haven't really been audited. So when you get audited, you lose a few of those kiddos. Um, so anyway, that drove about, and then the impact on the LOB, that drove about $1.4 in lost revenue. And then on the expenditure side, uh, certified subs that we outsourced to uh, Kelly Services was $400,000 over budget, we're seeing just some more usage of the personal leave that teachers have, and that was driving that. And then transportation was about a million dollars over budget. Um, it's still under our contractual cap, um, but a couple things happened. We've added some, we added some routes for the Brookwood Elementary School because we're building off, we're building on site, and we relocate those kids, and we provided transportation. And then there's a few other areas that we provided routes for uh, boundary changes. So that's kind of driving that. Um, those changes we um, we learned from, and they're in the budget for 18-19 to be more close to what we project for this year. So with that, that's 17-18. Mr. Knapp, yes, sir. I a question, Mrs. Mack. Could you go back one slide mm -hmm. to the pie chart there? Um, could you just speak briefly about um, why utilities um, is still part of our operating expenses because there was legislation at one point in time to take it out of capital and why it is still with our operating expenses? Could you speak to that? Uh, that law was repealed. Thank you. Yeah. I just so wanted no to highlight can, that. <laughs> so. Yeah. so you no longer can do that. Um, so 1819, um, we anticipate surplus right now at 2147000 That will change between now and August um, as we tweak the budget. And again, this does not include any uh, salary increases at this time. The next group of fund is the flow through funds to the state. Um, cost of living is a waiting, but we, we collect that, we levy that and collect taxes here locally and we remit that back to the state where then they turn around and reimburse us through the formula. CAPERS is um, the quarterly payments that the, the state makes to the CAPERS fund. We get four quarters, they give us that money and we turn around and give it right back to them. The other group of funds is the self-supported funds. Uh, these are revenues that are received that equals or exceed the budget. Uh, it, they receive no transfer from the general or LOB, thus the self-supported. Um, the, re the revenue is received for a specific purpose, and th the uh, revenue includes fees, local taxes, interests, and this is also our gifts and grants fund that we call consider self-supported. So here's a list of a few of the our, our, of our self-supported funds. A couple of the the larger ones are the food service. We uh, we do self it is self supported. We do about six hundred seventy five thousand dollars of indirect costs that we move over there. Um, the other one is the textbook rental fund. As you can see, we have two point nine million dollars budgeted there. That's for the secondary ELA um, English language arts adoption that I believe they're planning on purchasing for eighteen nineteen. Um, I guess I will mention that the textbook rental fund is still at $80, and we only charge that to the, the secondary, not to the elementary. The next group is the capital and debt retirement funds. Uh, the capital outlay fund receives local taxes for the purpose of construction and repair. Um, in recent years, they have expanded that use to, unif to like large uniform purchases, like for your band, choir, um, even football equipment, something, um, and you can use it for technology. 
The debt retirement fund is local taxes to retire all our general obligation bonds. These funds cannot be used for operating expenses. They are for this specific purpose. So I wanted to talk about the assessed valuation. We had a good growth in AV again for our school district. Um, we're estimating it to go up 6.2%. Uh, that is just our preliminary number. We'll get a estimated number from Johnson County in June to build our budget on, and then it's not finalized until October. Capital outlay, um, this is, is, is a major fund for us to take care of our 60 or so facilities that we have. Um, we anticipate we'll bring in $55.5 million in um, revenue. The majority of that is property taxes and then some more to vehicle tax. The Apple trade-in, which will take place over the summer and fall, we anticipate we'll get about $1.6 million for the max that we just refreshed um, over this summer. And then we have a warehouse that's on the market. If you know anybody wants to buy a warehouse, have them give us a call. But hopefully we'll get $2.4 million out of that for this year. Expenditures, we anticipate spending 50.5. Um, 8.4, that is unallocated, for, so that's just for maybe some emergency or something that comes up. Um, we always like to place that in there to give, this, give the district the authority to spend that um, in case emergencies do come up. The last group, or I'm sorry, this is the debt service um, schedule that we always like to show. Um, this represents our series of bonds that we still have outstanding. Um, 1996 and 2008A, they'll be falling off in about two years and then we'll have a, a level stream of uh, bond debt that we'll be paying off to 2037. Our mill levy will stay flat at 7.434. Um, with the, with the assessed valuation increase, we're able to keep it at 7.434. Um, bond and interest um, will spend about $26.5 million on bond and debt, and then we also have special assessment about $900,000. Federal funds is our last group. Um, again, these are grants that are directly from the feds. We've got to spend it for that purpose. Um, these are all preliminary numbers. Some of them we haven't received preliminary numbers because we don't get those until sometime maybe in uh, August and September. Except for Title I, we have received our preliminary allocation for that. And the early indication is that's close to going to be $400,000 lower than uh, what it was this year. Um, so we're reviewing that. Uh, we just got that about a week ago, so we're in the process of reviewing that, and we hope to use carry-forward money and attrition of positions to try to absorb that $400,000 decrease in the 1819. Can you just speak to that of why that occurred? Why it occurred? I think, um, I don't know the, the specifics, well, but uh, we'll lose it because of lesser probably free and reduce. And then I think the state overall was cut a certain percent, like 9%. They, they read, uh, received 9% less in federal dollars statewide. Thank you. Yeah. Um, so I wanted to 
then move on to our mill levy history. Um, with that AV increase and, and our LOB spending authority being down a little bit, our mill levy we anticipate to be 52.8 mills. This is approximately a 1.57% decrease. Um, if you owned a $200,000 home, you would pay about $1,169 in taxes or about $19 reduction based on that increase. And again, the mill levies aren't finalized until our, uh, October. So we'll get some, we'll get a better AV number. We'll have better mill levy um, information when we present in August. And again, those numbers don't get finalized until October. And the mill levy for the Shawnee Mission School District is by far the lowest in Johnson County, is that yeah, correct? Yeah, we are, yeah. Um, so to summarize all the budgets, um, for 1819, our anticipated budget at this point is $378 million. And then I just wanted to cover the timeline real quick. Um, obviously, tonight's the workshop. These are tentative dates because the, the board meetings haven't been set yet, but th this would be a scenario that would play out July 23rd would be a Monday board meeting. Um, we have, that's where you approve to publish the notice of hearing. That will go into paper like Thursday or Friday after that board meeting. That runs for 10 days. We use the Kansas City Star, so it's in there for 10 days. Um, the, but then we hold a budget hearing for anybody who wants to come and speak about the budget. And then you close that and you move into your regular agenda and there will be an agenda item for you to approve the budget. And then we are required by state law to have it to our county by August 25th. Um, and I should note that these documents um, will be out on our website in the first thing in the morning. Great, thank you for that. Do any board members have questions? Clarifications, Mrs. Owsley. Um, so this may also impact Stuart too, but um, just to be clear, so we're receiving 86% reimbursement on our special education rate, but under statute, that number would actually be 92%. Is that correct? Is it 92%? And the differential between that 86% and the 92%, does anybody know what that is off the top of their head? Is it three point something million dollars for our district? I just want to be clear that we're not getting yeah. everything that the statute would provide in reimbursement because of what we, out of what our expenditures are there, we should be getting 92% of that back mm -hmm. through the state and we're only getting 86% because on the numbers here it says, you know, we have some increase yeah. coming and that is good, but it is not what the statute actually requires. That's correct. Okay. Statutes at 92%, but keep in mind the 86%, that is statewide. So when they say 86%, right. that's statewide. Right. We do not receive 86% of our excess costs. So what do we last time I Last time I did that calculation, this was prior to this new money, we were at about 72%. So we're receiving 72% back. Yeah. So you'll have districts across the state of Kansas that will range from 60% all the way to 200% okay. of excess costs. And while we're on the note of what we're getting reimbursed for, one of the things I thought was interesting, so on the um, pre-kindergarten program, we had talked about how the enrollment for that only counts as 0.5 as opposed to a full student. So the re can you explain the reimbursement rate on that again? Right. So a pre-kindergarten, uh, pre and not all of them we can claim. 
Right. So the only ones we can claim that will run through the four-year-old at-risk program mm -hmm. um, and then special ed three and four-year-old program. Mm -hmm. So any other kiddos that are in our pre-K program that are paying tuition mm -hmm. uh, are out of a, um, I think it's called the KPP, I lose track of what that grant is. The, we do not receive funding on those. Right. But they would only be, but if we could count them, they're only 0.5, where kindergarten through 12 counts as 1.0. Okay, and then I have just two more quick questions, but I don't want to monopolize. Hold on just a second, and then yeah. we'll see if others for... Oh, we'll keep going. Okay, go ahead. Okay, um, all right, I guess I will monopolize it. And then just really quickly, um, you talked about the assessed evaluation going up, but just so that it's clear for folks, what is the benefit of that increase in the assessed evaluation? That, um, anytime the assessed evaluation goes up, it puts less pressure on your mill levy and you can reduce that mill levy because it'll generate more tax dollars. Um, so um, a good example of that is the LOB because mm -hmm. um, the LOB is but you back into that number based on the, the school finance formula. And so if that LOB, you're going to go through your for formula and say we need $60 million. Well, if that AV goes up, then you can lower your mill levy. Um, and generate the same amount of tax dollars to fund that $60 million. And then while we're on LOB, just to be clear, there was some reduction in what we were receiving on LOB, and I have forgotten what it was, um, but it was, we were, it was in the agenda briefing. And can you clarify that for me again? That when we were originally looking at the numbers that the district would be getting with the new formula, mm -hmm. that there was a different differential in the LOB that had not been calculated initially with the runs from KSDE because right. we had calculated that on our own as it applied to us. Right. So the, um, well, first of all, KSDE runs do not even consider the impact on the LOB. Mm -hmm. So that was just general sped that they were putting out. And so, the statute that was originally passed um, eliminated the grandfather clause. So that would have cost us, um, I can't remember now, a million to two million dollars. Mm -hmm. So that was restored. So that was good for us. So we still have that grandfather clause and we get to use it. But what the impact we're feeling now is just totally based on our weighted FTE decreasing. It doesn't really have anything to do with state statute. Gotcha. Yeah. Can I ask more? Well, let's see if Dr. Yeah, Sinclair. No, I'm happy to do that. Because <laughs> she might ask the same one. Dr. Sinclair. That's good. There are kind of two 30,000 foot questions. Um, one on just the second, the pie chart. Can you, um, or not the, just define what is administrative, what is included in that administrative sliver on the chart, which is, it's about 5%. <clears throat> so, Orange sliver, it's oh. sorry. Um, the 2018-19 budget summary. There we go. There we go. What's what's uh, define what mm. is it? What it means by administrative administrative cost? <clears throat> That's going to be all your uh, building administration, uh, CAA administration. It's going to be um, uh, board costs, legal, uh, anything that they considered in. Uh, the state chart of counts is the 2300s and 2400 function, um, but that's the bulk of it. It's going to be salaries for your administrators and some of the operating costs to run the district-wide expenses. Okay. And it also includes the building administrators as it, well? It okay. does, yes. Okay. Thank you. And then my other question is, and I think it's maybe the eighth slide in on the budget reserves. Um, 
there is a maybe the next two it's about seven percent can you just remind us again on the um, on kind of the budget reserves how much that you know the contingency reserve fund <clears throat> right. how long that would last for us if the yeah, so we, if something we, dramatic happens. Okay, yes. So our, our monthly expenses in our operating funds is about $19 million a month. Um, so we're going to end, we predict we're going to end about $14.3 million. So that's a little less than what we would need to fund um, $19 million of monthly expenditures. And then in addition, we have the 5.6 that we can use as well, and that's in our contingency reserve, that we've maintained that amount for quite a few years um, and just left it at, at that amount and continue to leave our fund balances running through our operating funds. Thank you. Okay. And one quick clarification. We talk about building administration. You're talking about principals and assistant principals? Yes. One at that level? Yep. Thank you. Yes. Here. Um, so one of the things we went over really quickly there, but I don't know if people teased it out on the the expenditure with the the sub costs. That's from people actually being able to utilize subs so that they can utilize their days off. Correct. So that's, that's correct. That's so that correct. increased expenditure is a net positive because we want people to be able to mm -hmm. utilize those yeah. days. Yeah, and that was one point. And then the other one was um, their goal was to get 100% fill, and they're, they've accomplished that. So if you're going to fill more subs, then obviously you're going to have more costs, but that's a good thing. Okay. Yeah, that was one of the goals, and they reached that. And on that administrative fund sliver that Mary was just talk, referring to on that previous slide right there, mm -hmm. is that in line with the administrative expenses um, that our neighboring districts have? Like, is this, are we, are we at a similar pie chart? With, like, are we comparable there on that footprint? Um, I, I don't know. I don't. I don't want to say if we are or not without okay. seeing how they break things out. Okay. Yeah. Thanks. All right. Any additional questions? Thank you. Thank you very much, Mr. Knapp. We appreciate it. Thank you for the update. And we'll continue down the process to August to an eventual approval. With that, we'll move on to uh, item D, D1. This is our public comment section, um, and I'll read through some of the guidelines for tonight, and then we'll invite our guests forward. Um, this is a time for public comment, which it occurs at the regularly scheduled board meetings of the Board of Education to provide an opportunity for individuals to address the board regarding school district issues. Uh, tonight, we will impose a time limit of three minutes to each speaker, not to include any clarifying question board member might have. Um, here are a few reminders that we uh, will ask of the speakers, and that is to uh, be constructive and positive when representing comments to the board. And we also ask that you please proceed to the podium, that when your name is called and you share your name, your city of residence, what school your children may attend, if applicable, and the name of any group or organization that represent as well. Um, like I said, we'll limit the, the comments to three minutes, please, because we have several speakers tonight. And in consideration of everyone's time, we ask that if there's a group spokesperson that can uh, represent the interests of the, the group, that perhaps someone might pass if a previous speaker has already expressed the same concern. Uh, any written comments or materials may be accepted and should be given to the board clerk for distribution. And please ensure that we have eight copies for that distribution. Um, Please make your comments while remaining behind the podium. And a reminder that complaints concerning any specific students or staff should uh, first be addressed to the administration in accordance with our board policy, which is K 
N is the letter of the policy. Um, if that procedure has been completed by the parent or the patron, then the board will consider to hear any such complaints in the executive session in order to protect the privacy interests of the students or the staff involved. If comments pertain to any item on the board's agenda, while well, the board president may ask the superintendent or any other designee to address those comments at that time, and generally responses from the board members during the public comment may be limited to just clarifying questions. And with that, I'll ask, uh, invite forward, uh, Renee Wassinger. Welcome. Thank you. Thank you for letting me speak. I'm going to admit any names I have here, but I have it all written out for you to read. So my name is Renee Wassinger, and thank you for letting me speak. I am a parent of a fourth and sixth grader at OPC. I live in Oberlin Park, and I am representing myself. Both of my children are in the SPED program, special education, one gifted and one with a 504 plan. So SMSD is 2,600 students who receive services for disabilities. 1,050 of those have been identified as gifted, and my children are two of those students, and so I want to share my experiences with you at this time over the last six years. So in this previous year, I have not signed either an IEP or 504 for my students, as the information contained in both of them are not correct, and they have not been remediated no matter how many attempts I've tried to make that happen. There was a district-initiated change in placement for my daughter last year in the gifted program, and I found out because my fifth grader came home crying because she was told by the school that there was going to be a change. I was not provided any notification or input. I did call the representatives from the district, which said that they would address it. However, I found out there's a new SPED survey that went out to parents this previous week, and I didn't receive it. There are currently changes being made to my students' placement with no notification to me as a parent. I find it to be an egregious violation of their rights and my parental rights not to be notified of changes in placement. In my opinion, it shows a lack of regard for students in the law by this district by not putting in place measures and quality control initiatives to ensure all students are provided a free and appropriate public education. Her regular classroom teacher in an IEP meeting told me that she would not provide the services listed in her IEP, and that has occurred. Um, my son, he's in fourth grade and has Tourette's ADHD and an executive function issue. With an existing 504 plan in place, he was suspended from elementary school due to blurting out phrases which are directly related to his executive functioning issues and Tourette's. I did speak with the principal who is wonderful, by the way. Absolutely love her of that school. Uh, she's been the shining star in all of this. One of the services he has provided is twice a week social skills training with a social worker. That was then discontinued without my knowledge. I found out from my son about a month ago. I could continue with additional issues, but I hope you see my point. That out of the 2,600 students who receive these services, these are just two in the same family with the same issue. And when speaking with other parents, these aren't even the worst violations that are occurring. So. I want to inform you as a way for us to work together that the former SPED employees, parents, and outside agencies are mobilizing to ensure our students' rights are not violated any longer. 
I am all about resolutions though. So I wanted to provide you with some resolutions. Um, and these are just my recommendations personally, that a district-wide training be provided for all the staff on the legal requirements of an IEP, 504 and gifted IEPs, where the focus is put on the students first. Also a consideration to restructure the gifted services. Gifted students are not gifted one day a week for two to four hours a day, which is the current format that is offered. So I would request that we consider redistributing the gifted teachers to the individual elementary schools. We have 33 schools. Ms. Wassinger? Yes. I appreciate what your comment share. We're past the three minutes. Oh, thank you. And I do see we have the seven items before us here that you, you, you provided to us. Would you like to make a wrap-up comment? Yes. What I want to do is just if you would give it a chance to read my recommendations and comments and that I look forward to working with the district and what I'm looking for is really not accolades or, or verbal, I would like to see some action, some definitive action by the 504 and IEPs being correct the first time that parents are told and better communication with us as parents. Thank you. All right, thank you. Yep, we'll invite uh, R.C. Rothrock. Hello, thank you for letting me speak. My name is R.C. Rothrock. I live in Mission and my children attend Rushton Elementary and Tomahawk Elementary. My son was diagnosed with autism right after he turned three. He spoke less than 30 words and never made eye contact, but he did laugh often and has always been such a happy child. Bradley started at the Shawnee Mission Instructional Center, went to Broken Arrow for a year, and by the grace of God, landed at Tomahawk Elementary. We actually followed his teacher from Broken Arrow to Tomahawk because we loved him that much. When we left the instructional center, the teachers told us that he, they had not seen anyone excel as fast and as much as Brad in the 10 years they've been teaching. Just recently, I was asked how I felt about Bradley going to the SAIL program since he's in the SLC program. I was told he was excelling, but I'm consistently asking about all of the options and I should know that he had the opportunity if I wanted him to go. I thought about it and I even asked around. I asked. I had someone from the behavioral department at another district tell me, don't do it, RC. If you carry even a little bit about Bradley's future, don't pluck him from a place where he's being successful and thriving. The relationship and communication I have with my teachers in Paris is pretty spot on, and I feel like they know my son very well and have his best interests at heart. I also feel like whoever brought this suggestion up to move Bradley from SLC to SAIL couldn't have spent more than a day with him. Why would someone even suggest moving a child from where he's thriving? Sorry. This tone seems to ring in harmony with many of the other stories I'm hearing from parents. Decisions and recommendations are being rolled down from the top from people who have spent less than a day with these kids. I stand before you tonight to express my concerns and bring light to issues and ask that something be done. We're losing educators, psychologists, coordinators, teachers, parents, and even students. I personally know so many teachers in Paris. We've been to three schools. How could I not? A few of my old colleagues became paras and have already left. My own brother-in-law was a para and has left. The experiences they've shared with me make me so sad. To know that people have taken these jobs to be the voice for so many without one, just to be silenced by inefficient processes, time-consuming requirements, lack of funding, lack of leadership, and the list could go on. We are witnessing our very own teacher walkout in slow motion. I'm not here to ask for resignations, overnight fixes, or even more funding. 
I'm here to ask you to really investigate the situation in the processes our educators are being asked to follow and how we're treating our staff and students. I grew up in the district and it's all I've ever known. Even as an adult, I moved to Olathe for a bit, but came running back after I had my first kid. I'm on the city council in mission, and so I know what it's like to be on the other side of these issues. My Bradley was able to say his ABCs backwards at the age of two. He can read, write, and literally count to a trillion. He's become best friends with YouTube and Google, and to me, he could very well be the one in a million, and there isn't anything I wouldn't do to ensure He's been taught to be the best version of himself and what he could be. If that means giving up our home, me giving up the council and moving to another district, then that's what I'll have to do. I'd give up the world for Bradley, and if things don't change, I just might have to. I am begging you, please, don't let these kids down. Um, there were two requests that I had. I, I just requested, I would like to have um, something scheduled with the new superintendent, Dr. Fulton, and maybe just kind of an open forum that parents could introduce themselves and speak their concerns directly. And um, just that you all really, really do some investigation with. Okay. Thank you very much for your thank comments. You. I, I sure appreciate it. And thank you for your service to the city of Mission as well. We, we appreciate it because we know that's a tall order. Thank you. <laughs> Jeff Passon. Welcome. Welcome back. Good to see you guys. Thanks for having me. Uh, my name is Jeff Passon. I live in Prairie Village. My son goes to Briarwood. And he has been in SMSD's gifted program since he was in first grade. I am genuinely concerned with what's going on in the special education department right now. It's not just that three of the four coordinators have left the district or that at least three special education resources teachers are transitioning to regular classrooms because of dissatisfaction with the department's direction. It's not that the rollout of the new IEP system was, in the words of one person involved, a disaster, or that morale is frighteningly low. It's not even that a gifted department that has 20 staff members servicing more than 1,000 students, lacks a coordinator because SMSD saw it fit to get rid of that job. It's that the person in charge of this department has spent her tenure belittling boots on the ground in the trenches employees to the point that after meetings with her... Mr. Passon, I'll ask you to pause just a second. And we'd love to hear about your experience within the district. And But if we start talking about a specific staff person, I'll ask you to refer to the administration in general. Okay. Perfectly Thank fair. Thank you. Um, more than anything, I want people to understand that when the three people up here were elected, that we were looking for change and that we were looking for substantive change. And that this was not just change for change's sake. Uh, we want to change the issues that are most pertinent to the people out there and to the parents out there. And I'm not speaking only for my son here. I'm speaking not only for the children in the gifted program. It's for the special needs children. It's for those with learning disabilities, those with physical disabilities, those with developmental disabilities, uh, those whose desire to learn is motivated, has a motivated group of teachers who are supported by a passionate and competent group of administrators, that they have the support of the school board, that the parents here feel emboldened 
by it. And, and this is for the men and the women in particular who enter into a field as difficult as teaching and compound it by dedicating themselves to the children in need of the most help. This is what the board needs to ask itself. Are we really comfortable allowing the future of this department to be determined by the people who have been there and have seen it get to the place where it is now? And that's why I ask, Dr. Southwick, board members, please understand that the degradation of this department has happened under all of our watch, and we owe it to ourselves to allow Dr. Fulton to be the one to select the new person in charge of the department when that happens. It's the most important thing that we can do because if we want a fresh start, if we want to address the issues here, we need to do that the right way. We owe that to the kids. We owe that to the parents. We particularly owe that to the teachers. I hope that he can meet with the rank and file, that he can get honest, forthright assessments from the people who frankly are scared to speak out right now. I shouldn't have to be the voice. None of us should. They should be the teachers who come forth and say, this is exactly what we need in this department. This is what we want right now, and this is what our children deserve. Thank you, guys. Thank you. Thank you for your comments. And And I will add to that because there were some points there that were made that uh, uh, we spe specifically be as the president in active conversation with Dr. Fulton. So you, you referenced the new superintendent. He is very engaged in that. That's why even the uh, announcement that went out on Friday made sure to include the references to, to his direct involvement in that eventual uh, selection of that and a variety of employees moving forward. So thank you for that. With that, Sarah Bennett. Uh, my name is Sarah Bennett. Uh, my kids attend Shawano Elementary, and we currently live in Shawnee, Kansas, or have for the past 15 years. Um, nine years ago, my husband and I accepted placement of Brendan, an eighth-month-old baby, who was born as a drug-exposed micropremie. Before we met him, he had been through multiple placements, and it was clear he had sustained pre- and postnatal trauma. He was full of challenges, but we fell in love anyway. We adopted Brendan. A year and a half later, we adopted his full sibling, who was also drug exposed. Her name is Lauren. Lauren and, Bre and Brendan attend Shawano Elementary. Brendan has cerebral palsy, chronic kidney disease, a developmental delay, ADHD, and ODD. Lauren has ADHD, ODD, and a learning disability. We love it at Shawano. It is the only place outside of our home that they have been successful, despite us having tried many, many extracurricular activities and settings. It wasn't always easy, though. Initially, initially, in the kids' first couple of years, we had many struggles. We had to work through suspensions, medication changes, medical and behavioral challenges. It took incredible resources, patience, time, and creativity to overcome so many obstacles. But the staff at Shawano was stellar. Everybody from the secretary to the nurse to the teachers to the support staff has found a way to make it work for our kids. We attribute their current placement and well-being specifically to the staff at Shawano and the relationships they have built over many years with the people there. As you all know, Shawano was part of the boundary changes this year. As a result, the children in my neighborhood are slated to go to Mill Creek. We know Mill Creek is an excellent school, but for many reasons we know a move to Mill Creek would be disastrous for our children. So we have made a plea to stay at Shawano. On Friday, my husband and I learned that the SPED administrative staff made the decision that Lauren has to transfer to Mill Creek. We still do not know what the decision is regarding Brendan. 
We have been making a case for our kids to stay at Shawano since the very beginning of the school year. On March 5th, we met with Dr. Southwick, Jackie Chapman, and Dr. Michelle Hubbard to discuss our options. And in that meeting, the leaders of this district said that it was a decision that needed to be made by the people who are most familiar with our kids, and we totally agreed. What followed was a series of in-depth evaluations of our children and improved more thorough IEPs. But the decision about whether we stay in a building that loves, supports, and knows my children ended up in the hands of SPED administration, two people who know nothing about Brendan and Lauren. In deciding to force a move to Mill Creek, they have discounted the relationships, relationships that have sustained my children, the people who have helped them from heal from trauma, and the community that we count on. I have been told by SPED administration that Mill Creek is equipped to handle my kids. That is not my point. My kids are not equipped to handle the transition, nor should they be asked to. I'm here to ask you to intervene and look closely what is happening to the families in our district. Thank you for your time. Thank you very much for sharing your perspective. We appreciate it. Thank, Thank you. you. Jan Bombeck. Welcome. Welcome back. Thank you. Um, I spoke several months ago about libraries, and at that time I said um, if there were further issues, I would be back, and I'm back. I um, recently discovered that two more elementary library vacancies have been filled with non-certified library staff. Um, in addition to that, which is upsetting to me and other people, and I'm here as an advocate for librarians in the district, certified librarians, and the children in the district. Both of my kids went to Shawnee Mission Schools, kindergarten through 12. I taught in the district for 26 years as a school librarian, and I feel very strongly about this. So in addition to these positions being filled by non-certified staff, they are being listed as library media specialists, which is incorrect. They do not hold that certification. Um, several, I just don't understand why this is happening. Uh, several weeks ago, I was doing a volunteer job with a friend of mine who is a retired principal in the Olathe School District, and we were talking about school stuff as former school people do, and I was telling her that Shawnee Mission was hiring non-certified people to fill library jobs, and she just looked at me like I was speaking another language, like, what? <laughs> Why would they be doing this? And again, as I said before, Shawnee Mission is the only large district in Johnson County, Wyandotte County, that even entertains this as a possibility. They all hire certified staff, that is their standard. And as we continue to hire non-certified people, I am just confused as to why a district that I feel has high standards of the Shawnee Mission District lowers them in this case. And when I attended the public forums for the three candidates for superintendent, the question that I asked all three of them was how do you feel about hiring certified librarians? And I was thrilled when we chose Dr. Fulton because I felt his answer was on target because he said that it was important to hire staff that are certified in the areas in which they teach. 
So since I've spoken about this before, I really am not sure what else I need to keep saying to have this be an important thing that the district considers. Like I said, I'm here to advocate for the certified librarians that continue to do their work in the district. I'm here to advocate for the students who I feel deserve certified librarians in their schools. Thank you. Thank you very much. And, and thank you for your years of service to the district. Mari Murphy, please let me know if I pronounced your first name right. Mary, okay. Thank you. Um, thank you for allowing me to speak. Uh, my name is Mary Murphy, and I'm a Hawker Grove mom. Um, I'm also a mom of a uh, Shawnee Mission North graduate, um, and I live in Mission. Um, so two days ago, our seventh grader said to us, I want to get to school early next week so I can buy some breakfast, put it in my backpack, and save it for lunchtime. Thoroughly confused, I asked her why. Uh, she replied, because the cafeteria keeps running out of food by third lunch. <clears throat> I was at once shocked and heartbroken. Her dad and I asked her more questions. Um, has this ever happened before? Yes, she said. Um, how often? Very often, she said, more times than she can count. And why is this the first time we're hearing about it? <laughs> um, and, you know, so we ended up through, you know, question and answer, um, found out that, like a lot of 13-year-olds, she is learning how to be independent and resourceful. She wanted to take care of the problem on her own. Obviously, she is still learning when it's okay to be independent and when it's okay to ask for help. Um, of course, buying a giant cinnamon roll from the breakfast line to make up for a missing entree and sides at lunch is not acceptable. Um, we explained to her that she should never have to hoard food, that she, should, that she would be taking her lunch from home for the rest of the year, which is only a week, but still, um, and that her dad and I would ask some questions to find out what's going on, why the school's running out of food. Um, so I posted on Facebook um, asking other Hawker Grove parents if their children ever said anything like this to them. Uh, a few were already familiar with the problem and as a solution had been sending their kids to school with a lunch home, uh, from home every day. Other parents had no idea. Oh goodness, I'm already down to a minute. <laughs> um, over the course of the weekend, parents had conversations with their children and then we reported back to each other. Um, now, I want to tell you that during all of our conversations, not a single one of us had a negative word to say about the cafeteria staff or manager. Um, we all have an immense amount of respect for the people who cook and serve our children's lunches every day. The staff doesn't seem to be the problem. The problem lies somewhere else. Um, vendors not being held accountable, uh, incorrect uh, ordering forecasting, um, or a flawed or faulty model. Um, so one of the moms sent an email to food services. Uh, a, a reply from heads, uh, head of food services came this morning and um, uh, I'm afraid that her explanation just really didn't do anything to um, assuage our concerns. Um, first, running short on food is not isolated to Hawker Grove. Through our parent discussions back and forth, we have found that it's happening at 
at least one other elementary school and at Shawnee Mission North. Um, may I continue for just a moment? Or? You can wrap up. Yes, that'd be fine. Thank you. Um, uh, the email reply from Food Services suggested the children ask for the cafeteria manager if they if there was something that they that they didn't find, um, and I, I we just kind of felt like that wasn't either appropriate or or should be um, something that the kids should be expected to do at this point, um, you know, in middle school. Um, thirdly, we do appreciate that the food service department. Uh, in, in the email did admit that they were having some issues with vendors um, and that they were working with the vendors um, but sh the email from food services basically said that um, uh, it was a problem that was happening this spring. Um, it, it's been going on all year um, and uh, I actually spoke to my, my oldest who like I said is a Shawnee Mission North graduate for, in 2015. I asked him this morning have you heard of this? And he said, yeah, that it was kind of happening back then too. Um, just not quite as bad as this. So um, I just ask that, um, that the board take a look at, um, you know, like I said, if, if the vendors are not uh, doing what they need to do and they're not being held accountable, then could we look at a new vendor before August? Um, if it's order forecasting, that is in error, then there's a problem with record keeping um, or ordering. And thirdly, um, if, uh, sorry, go back to my note here. Um, if it's a flawed business model, um, you know, then could we look and see what else we can do to help? Because, um, you know, hot lunches have been served since like 1894. I looked it up. <laughs> so, um, you know, there's got to be a good model out there somewhere. That, that we can use, um, you know, somewhere, someone, you know, business models are not perfect, but there has to be one out there that errs on the side of making sure that the kids get fed. So thank you for your time. Thank Thanks you for letting much. me go over. Well, I appreciate it. Well, appreciate your perspective. Thank you. And that wraps up our, our public comment section. I want to conclude by saying, first of all, thank you for spending the time with us today. We know that you invest some time in preparing as well as uh, staying with us until we uh, get to this point in the meeting. So we thank you for that. There's been both some questions posed as well as some suggestions. And I want you to know that we take those very seriously and they will be followed up on. Uh, lastly, I'll pause to see if any board member has a clarifying question or if Dr. Southwick has any commentary at all to follow up. Um. I was, I'm not aware of food shortage, but I'll check into that tomorrow. Dr. Athith will get on that first thing. So, um, I, first I've heard of that, but we'll, we apologize for that and we'll correct it. Okay. Thank you. Appreciate that. With that, we'll move on to uh, agenda item, which is letter E and number one. And this is the approval of the minutes from our regular meeting on April 23rd. So moved. Thank you, Mrs. Goodburn. Sec. Go ahead. Uh, thank you, Mrs. Zila. All those in favor of approval of the minutes of, two, of April the 23rd, please say aye. 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 Opposed, nay. 7-0. We move on to E2, and that's the minutes of the special meeting on May 7th. So moved. Thank you, Mrs. Mack. Second. Thank you, Mrs. Goodburn. All those in favor, please say aye. 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 Those opposed, nay. And that's 7-0. With that, we'll move on to letter F, and this is the adoption of the agenda. 
Thank you, Mrs. Zila. I second. Thank you, Dr. Sinclair. It's been moved and seconded to adopt the agenda for this evening. All those in favor, please say aye. 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 Those opposed, nay. That passes 7-0. With that, we move on to um, item G1, and this is the approval of routine business by consent. Um, I'll first seek a motion and a second, and then I'll ask for any uh, items to be removed. Move approval of routine business by consent. Thank second. you, Mrs. Mack, and thank you on the second, Mrs. Goodburn. Would any board member like to remove any items from the consent agenda tonight? Um, I would like to remove J4. J4, okay. We will set that one aside and vote on that later. Any other items that you'd like to remove from the consent agenda tonight? Seeing none, all those in favor of approving the consent agenda minus J4, please say aye. 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 Uh, nay. That passes 7-0. We'll move on to item J4, and we'll lift that one up, and that is the approval of HR agenda. I'll seek a motion to approve. So moved. Thank you, Mrs. Mack. Second. Thank you, Mrs. Zila. Uh, any commentary, questions, or clarifications? Being none, all those in favor, please say aye. 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 All those opposed, please say nay. Nay. Thank you. That passes 6-1. Thank you for that. And we'll move on from there to, uh, we're down to P1. And uh, this is an action item for the board. This is the authorization to publish a public notice of a hearing to amend the 2017-18 budget. I'll seek a motion to approve that action item. So moved. Thank you, Mrs. Goodburn. Second. Thank you, Mrs. Zila. Any questions before we seek a vote? Seeing none, all those in favor, please say aye. 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 Opposed, nay. That passes 7-0. And then we move on to action item P2, which is the purchase uh, approval of purchase of flex licensing and WebEx change order. Dr. Southwick. I have Drew here uh, in case there's major questions about this, but this basically is your phone service um, and along with that, an opportunity for us to do WebExing, um, to do uh, casting from one building to another or either from our district to other districts. And this is a purchase, a total purchase over a five-year period of time from uh, Cirrus Computer for $1,375,587.82. It will be broken into five payments, and uh, the payment this year will be 275117.56. And this is paid for out of capital outlay funds, and it is a budgeted expense. So. Thank you. Any questions about this line item here? Who is anxious to answer them? Do you have any questions? Seeking none, or seeing none, I'll seek a motion to approve item P2. Thank you, Mrs. Zila. Second. Thank you, Mrs. Goodburn. Let's make sure and check the other mics to see if they're on tonight. <laughs> um, all those in favor of item P2, please say aye. 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 And nay for those opposed. That passes 7-0. Item P3, Dr. Southwick. Yes, um, bringing a motion forward, um, a recommendation forward for all of your general lines of insurance coverage that we have in the district. Um, I'm going to give you some examples of those. Uh, your property, your fine arts, your boiler and machinery, general liability, law enforcement, automobile liability, school leaders, ENO, terrorism, crime, treasurer bond, 
uh, excess workers' compensation, TPA services liability, fiduciary liability, and I can go on and on. Um, the total cost of that for this year is $807,891, um, and recommend approval. Thank you. Any questions about item P3? Yes, Dr. Sinclair. Um, is that figure represented in that 5% administrative cost? If that, is that where that we would see that in the pie chart, this dollar amount? I don't think that it would be in the administration. Would, would our general liability insurance be, Russ, in our... Other? No, we take uh, those the premiums that are for liability, we take from the special liability expense fund, so we don't have to take those out. Okay, thank you. Any other questions on item P3? None, I'll seek a motion to approve. So moved. Thank you, Mrs. Goodburn. Second. Second. Oh, there you go. Now I'm making Thank sure you, Reverend works. Guy. <laughs> All those in favor of approval of P3, please say aye. 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 Opposed, nay. That passes 7 0. Thank you for that. We move on to uh, section 7. This is reports to the board. I'm sorry, 7S, and it's S1. It's the board financial report. We have that provided to us. Um, any additional questions beyond what's been provided or already discussed in our budget workshop? Being none, I'll seek approval of the uh, financial report. Is, Actually, just yeah, that's what I was just, just going to say. Thank you. Well, then we'll move on. And uh, we are on to letter T. And letter T is uh, comments from the board. So board members, raise your hand. We'll see if we have any questions. Not questions, comments. Yes, Mrs. Goodburn. Thank you. I just wanted to say it was a wonderful week last week with all the graduations. Um, I thought I just wanted to thank the administration and the, the building administrators too for the job that they did and all of the graduation committees, students, staff members that worked all year long to make those uh, wonderful uh, celebrations happen. Um, and in including our, the, the one that we went to on Friday for the 18 to 21 program. It was fabulous. So. Anyway, I just wanted to say congratulations on a job well done. Could have had the weather be a little bit better on Wednesday night, but it was okay. It held through the M's, and then it was made for a very memorable uh, night. <laughs> but uh, I just wanted to say uh, I thought they did a wonderful job, and, and uh, it was really a fun week. Thank you, Mrs. Goodburn. Yes, Mrs. Mack. Um, I have a report from the Shawnee Mission Education Foundation um, because there is a new program called Leadership Shawnee Mission, um, the Jewel Summit Leadership Academy. This academy is a partnership um, between the Shawnee Mission Education Foundation and William Jewell College. It combines a 42-hour internship experience with 48 hours of classroom curriculum focused on leadership skills such as conflict resolution, communication, responsibility, and trust. It was originally designed by the prior leadership studies program at William Jewell College, and this curriculum has been adapted for Shawnee Mission and the exceptional students in our local community. This program is an opportunity for students from the Shawnee Mission School District to engage in meaningful work with a local organization and have the opportunity to apply the leadership skills that they are developing during the classroom component of the academy. Leadership Shawnee Mission will run from June 11th to the 29th, and we are piloting the, the foundation is piloting it with 12 students in hopes of replicating and expanding in 2019. Yet another incredible um, program that is being uh, brought to us by the foundation. They do great work. Um, the second thing I'd like to address really quickly is uh, I'm going to go back to 
um, the health insurance conversation that we had earlier. And Dr. Southwick, I want to look at you specifically and say I appreciate the time that you took and also with the Benefits Committee for um, bringing better numbers to us, et cetera. But I did a little math on my own, and um, you're responsible for making sure my numbers are right. The lowest family plan is $1,300 a month. You take that times 12, that's $15,600 spent on health insurance. If we have a teacher that makes $50,000 a year, that's about 32% of their income, and that's pre-tax. I think that there is a great... Um, uh, there, there is a big mis misrepresentation out there that our public servants are taken care of um, in, the, in our state, and they're not. Um, there are, uh, obviously, there are CAPERS um, payments that are being made to make up for um, retirement benefits that have changed over the years. Um, but when I look at this and I think of a family of four spending 32% of their hard-earned money, and it is hard-earned to be a teacher and any other staff member in our district, that 32% um, of their income pre-tax goes to health insurance. Just, um, I would like to see us wake up <laughs> as citizens and recognize this. Public servants um, do so much for us. I mean, I, and, and you can go across the board, but specifically here for our, for our teachers and our staff members and our, our employees. Um, I just wanted to bring that to everybody's attention, um, that they are better numbers. But in my, my knowledge is, and I'm going to look at Representative Rooker, there's only one school district in the state of Kansas that pays for full family benefits, and it's Wichita. I still don't know how they do it, and they got, what, $18 million more, something like that, under this new legislation? They, they have a... Thank you. And, and Dr. Southwick, please understand I respect what you've done and what you've tried to do with our vendors. But to me, um, it won't be enough until we really, really uh, reward our public servants for the great service that they provide us. Thank you. Other board member comments? I have a question. Can I can I ask Dr. Southwick a question during this portion of it, or do I just stick to yeah, comments? Let's do it after the meeting. Okay. All right. Yeah. I can do that after the meeting. Well, and then I do have one comment that I just um, oh, and I just lost it on my computer. I just pulled up. I think it's important to just reference um, that the district does protect and prohibit. It protects students and prohibits. Um, racial and disability harassment, and I, I wanted to reference that board policy, which is J-G-E-C-A, in case anybody needs to get a hold of it, um, that the Board of Education is committed to providing a positive and productive learning and working environment, um, free from discrimination, including harassment, on the basis of race, color, national origin, or disability. And there's a significant portion here, and I won't read it all out loud, but um, I just want to speak aloud our commitment to um, providing that positive and productive learning and working environment here in our district. Thank you. Other board member comments? With that, I'll wrap up, wrap up with my own. There were several folks that uh, referenced Dr. Fulton's arrival. And uh, yes, July 1st, Dr. Michael Fulton will be uh, the superintendent for the school district. I want to remind folks again that we, and in the negotiation contract, 
process with his contract, we did uh, negotiate 10 days that he's in this district at various points be before July 1. That's been extremely helpful to us and very gracious of the Pattonville School District to allow him to, to spend some time with us. He's spent several times already in this district. He'll be here again in June engaging with the, with the administrative team. We spend a lot of time talking about the agenda tonight. So I wanted to assure folks, both board and anyone else that's here, that there is an active conversation going on with Dr. Fulton. I've spent an hour or so today with him just going over the items that we're working on as a board. So that on day one, he's very up to speed on what's going on. He also knows the decisions that he's a part of in this process, as well as the decisions he'll be making after July 1. So I wanted to share that as well. Anything else? With that, uh, our next meeting is June 25th. And uh, what, school's out at the end of this week? So it's been another great year. Thank you very much for sticking with us tonight. Have a good evening.